understanding from reading from God's Word. Beloved, let's open our Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians, uh, the epistle of Paul immediately following the Corinthian epistles. Galatians chapter 1, our text will be Galatians 1, 11 through 16, the first part. Galatians 1, verses 16, 11 through 16a. Um, I'm going to back up and read from verse 3. I hope nobody will greatly be alarmed at that. So, beginning with the reading from God's Word, from verse 3, Paul says in the Holy Spirit, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of men, or man, or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I will have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. And so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Thus far reading of God's inerrant, infallible, ineffable word. All flesh is as grass and as beauty as is the flower of the field. The grass withers, its flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. This is the word that we preach by God's help. Please be seated. Paul is in a battle to defend his apostleship. Not that he is boasting in himself, but apostles are God's instrument for the establishing the foundations of the church, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. But false teachers had entered in slyly, and they had distorted, they had corrupted the gospel in Galatia, a whole region in Asia Minor, many churches. And these 
false teachers claimed to have authority from various sources. They claimed to know the scriptures better. They, they had their own interpretation of scripture, in fact. And they thought that they had the consent of the Jerusalem church, which was a Judean church. And so they thought they had greater authority than Paul to contradict him. And they were accusing Paul of violating the truth of Scripture. Their zeal was to maintain the traditions as been handed by their forefathers. Now, some of those traditions were biblical, and they were right to be held. All the Old Testament ceremonial law, which was fulfilled in Christ, is good to know, and you can still read that and explain that to the churches because all those shadowy elements were vital to demonstrate that all that the prophets were speaking about, everything in Moses and the prophets was about the Lord our righteousness, Jesus, the gift of God, not only to the Jew, but to the nations. Free salvation to all who believe in him. How he had to have been born and uh, come under the law and suffer and, and die on the cross and then resurrect and ascend gloriously into heaven. All of that the prophets saw. So they were right to have an interest in the Old Testament, but, my friends, they did not see its relevance and its centrality as being in Christ, who is the mediator of all things, even in creation, the first initial creation, but especially in redemption to the church. They could not see this. So in this next section of Scripture, Paul argues from his own experience his own experience with the Lord Jesus. Just as Moses met with God face to face, here Paul speaks openly to the Lord Jesus and the Lord, the ascended Christ from at the right hand of the Father. Father reveals and speaks to him openly as to a friend. He received the faith of the uh, God's elect, the faith of Christ, not from any man at all. And this is a, a keynote of an apostle. An apostle receives the faith from Christ himself. An apostle has uh, been mentored and brought up by Christ himself. In this next section, then, he's going to be dealing with such things as the place of circumcision and the ceremonial law and all this. But for now, Paul has to fight. Uh, he, he, he is now wrestling and telling with these Galatians, these false teachers and the people who have been deceived to defend the right gospel and to consider that its origin has, is, the, is the place to begin as to which gospel is correct. If revelation is from God, then the gospel must have its origin in God. But if the gospel is not contained in the scriptures or is any gospel that is contradictory to scripture or any element of a gospel, because in, in Galatia, the, the subtlety was, oh yeah, they believed in Jesus, but they also believed in Moses, so to speak. The supernatural origin and divine integrity of the gospel that Paul preaches must be established. If you establish its origins, as the font of uh, being God's own mouth, the God who is true, the God who cannot lie, then we are talking about the pure word of God. And that word of God, Paul says, and establishes well here in Galatia, is the gospel to the Jew first, 
and the gospel to the Gentile as well. One gospel, not two. There is not a dual ladder to heaven. There is not a dual ladder to heaven. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one name given to all men by whom they may be saved, and that name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him, you'll be saved. Now, get the gospel out mighty, mighty early in the sermon so no one is confused. The teaching here, however, is this, that the source of the gospel is God and not man. That's, we need to make sure that that's, that's the point we really need to understand. The source of the gospel is God and not man. The proof, of course, of this, as we'll see in the rest of this epistle, Paul will, will require to the Galatians, the proof of it is it's evidenced its, its ability to transform, its power to transform the lives of even those who had previously opposed its message of salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus. It'll take a person like Saul of Tarsus and completely redo him. Not that Saul didn't have the scriptures. Now, he had studied the Old Testament very keenly, but he didn't have the understanding of the scriptures. And for that, you need this Holy Spirit. You need, you need Christ, who is the one who gives his spirit. Even in the Old Testament, it was Christ who was giving his spirit. And then you will understand the scriptures to give God glory for salvation, and your boast will be in him. So what, how many points do we have in this sermon? I think there's uh, two points. The second point is a bit long. First point, God, the gospel is not from man, it is from God. That's the first point. The gospel truth, this is essential to believe you must, you must get this right. You must get this right. Failing this, you fail all. Paul insists that a right gospel is crucial. I would have you know, he says. Well, of course, he's writing. But he wants, you, he wants them to know more than just a head knowledge or thank you for the... He wants them to, to delve into the, and experience this knowledge. So the, Hebrew mind has nothing, the Hebrew mind has nothing to know about just knowing something notionally and not, not really enjoying it and living it out. I would have you know. Paul is hopeful that the Galatians uh, have not totally lapsed have not totally departed from Christ. And so he, he does and has already addressed them charitably as brothers. But this is a hopeful and charitable judgment. He's still amazed, and, and he knows that in their partial apostasy, at best, it's a partial apostasy. If they continue in this, then they will be lost to the kingdom of Christ. Christ is lost to them. They have, they have departed from Christ. Now, that sounds harsh, but the gospel message is so simple, and it gives God so much glory that we just need to get this right, and God insists on it. Besides, we have the Holy Spirit to guide us and to teach us. We can't fail if we're Christian. A Christian can't fail having the resident Holy Spirit, and now we have an apostle and the scriptures also helping the Galatians. Paul would not change anything about the gospel that he had delivered because Christ himself had revealed it to him. Why would he make any amendments? Why would he, had, why would he add anything to the essential message of the, of the hope of the world? If it's kept simple, people are, are more accessible to it. The more we complicate these things, the more we obscure its light. And besides that, 
if we add elements that are not only foreign to the gospel, but actually contrary to the gospel, then we really get, take back with the left hand what we give with the right. Now, Paul is not about to change anything. Paul's integrity as an apostle is at stake. He delivered a message. If there's a different message going on, what you're doing is you're challenging the apostolic foundation of the church. And Paul is, uh, of course, implied in that. The salvation of the Galatian churches also, the whole, not just one church, not just the people in it, not just one soul or two, but the whole region, the salvation of a whole region of that world is at stake. An understanding, a right understanding, a knowledge to know Christ and to know the Bible truly, that understanding is compromised and is at stake. With a, with a, with a twisted gospel, you'll never understand the New Testament. No matter how much you quote it, you will not understand it. The salvation of the world, of men, then, is at stake. Because these people have children. These children will have children. They'll, they'll fan out all over the world, and the perverted gospel will go and confuse everybody, and the spirit is not in it. It's all flesh. It's all obnoxious to God. The gospel then is essential to believe. The gospel truth is defended negatively by Paul. Paul does not deny hearing the gospel from other men. No, he, he's not saying that he'd not heard about Jesus' miracles as he walked around Palestine. He'd, he'd heard plenty of, uh, of Jesus' parables, perhaps. Maybe his take on, on the scriptures, the teaching of scriptures, his corrections to scripture. Uh, not to scripture, but to the traditions of the elders, the Sadducees, the Pharisees. Oh, there's no doubt that he had heard these things, but he was reacting uh, against those teachings as being wrong. He's not saying that he had not heard some things of Jesus by men. His crucifixion, of course, that was a public event. His resurrection, well, there's been rumors, you know. He's heard about that, but that's not what Paul is saying. He was present at Stephen's preaching, remember, Acts chapter 7. And, and, and you know, Stephen gave a, quite a nice soliloquy there about the work of God and his tabernacle and his dwelling with men and how his own people, God's own people, had been stiff-necked and, and rebellious all along and they had rejected the Holy Spirit. He was there when he heard all that. But he had he taught, had been taught it, not to receive it in his heart. So he had been not, he'd not been taught the Bible. He'd not been taught the gospel by any man. He, in fact, he had implicitly uh, approved of his stoning, laying, uh, watching for the garments as men picked up stone, stones and, and, and pelted Stephen to death. He had indeed uh, interacted with Ananias uh, after his conversion um, and uh, took his advice and marched on, uh, continued his trip to Damascus. Uh, he was aware of the Jerusalem apostles, sure, James, the Lord's brother, and all that, but that's still not the source of his teaching. Paul is affirming that he did not receive the understanding of the gospel from any except the Lord Jesus. That's what he's saying here. A, a, a right understanding of the fulfillment of the Old Testament in the gospel is a Christological, a, crystal, a Christocentric understanding. And Jesus insists on that in the road to Emmaus. He met with the disciples. He explains to them in Luke 24. A foolish is slow to believe all that the Holy Spirit has, has written. 
beginning with Moses. That's beginning with Moses is, is not Exodus. Beginning with Genesis, Gen Moses wrote ex Genesis, Exodus, uh, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, etc. The five books. Beginning with Moses, Jesus was correcting severely, rebuking his disciples. When are you going to understand the scriptures? Messiah had to suffer and die and be resurrected. Foolish. Understanding the person and the work of Jesus, the Messiah, the atonement, let us say the, the payment for sin, the, the reconciling of God to uh, and man, sinful men, the atonement, the sovereign grace of the Holy Spirit's applying that redemption. Uh, justification by faith alone. All of these things are Paul would write in, in, the, in the book of Galatians and in other places, Ephesians, and, and especially the book of Romans, the epistle to the Romans. Uh, the, the mystery of the church is one body, Jews and Gentiles. How both have been reconciled and the, the, the wall of division has been broken down. That's in Ephesians. How did Paul get all this? Was Paul a, a genius? Did he get this from the, the desert people, perhaps, you know? The Masoretes? No, 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 no. Paul got this from the risen Lord Jesus, who spoke to him as a man speaks to a man. And so the gospel truth is defended positively as well. Paul affirms that he received the gospel by revelation. And that's, of course the litmus for all Scripture. The Word of God is revealed. It is, it is given to man. God is there, and He is a God who speaks and reveals Himself directly by word content. And He received the gospel by revelation, just as all the apostles had. Even uh, the prophets in the Old Testament and the, the prophets in the New Testament, as much as the, the apostles laid hands on them and could proclaim quite a bit, I think also... Uh, they, they received it as revelation, but not in the way presented to an apostle. An apostle, is, as it were, sees the Lord Jesus as, you know, again, in the presence uh, as the disciples saw the Lord Jesus walking with them in Palestine. And so, my friends, there are some churches today, you know, claim apostol uh, apostolicity. Uh, inasmuch as they keep uh, the truth of the, of the Scriptures uh, in its essentials nicely, I think we can give them a terrible judgment. But if they claim an office above their brothers, they need to be, they need to be uh, brought down uh, because uh, I see that as an inordinate boasting in office and in flesh. They are very incorrect. In fact, Paul, Paul's whole argument would fall away if there were, if apostles were, were common things, but they're, they're not common things. They're at the foundation of the church, and then from the foundation, the rest of the church universal grows up. And once the foundation is laid, no other foundation need to be laid. No other apostles can be laid, can be laid down as, an, as a foundation. And so those groups who claim apostolicity today would be more charitable to us by not confusing so many people. He received the gospel at the hands of the Lord Jesus Christ, the mediator of the new covenant. And so Paul reaffirms as much in the rest of his epistles. Uh, he, he says, you know, 
All Scripture is God-breathed, he writes to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. He's not saying, look, I, 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 I spent 14 years studying this, these manuscripts in the desert. I, I look, just, my theology is nice and tight here. You've got to believe me. That's not his argument. Paul is saying that what he's delivered to Timothy and in all the churches is, is God-inspired, and uh, it is the Word of God, and it is to be treated that way. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21 also argues the same thing. We are to pay attention to the Word of God as to a light, a singular a point, a singularity, a point of light that otherwise is in a dark place. This is where God speaks and no other place. No other place. How many churches need to be, how many churches need to reform to this? How many churches need to repent of this? They're boasting in something that is not glorying in the Holy Spirit, is not, is not worshiping God truly. They're confused. I hope they're a Christian, but if they are, the Holy Spirit would lead them to a, a much tighter, uh, a cleaner understanding of God, or else Paul's argument here is, is so much spilled ink. The gospel is not merely proclaimed and taught. The gospel at times must be defended. And if I get to picking on certain people here who otherwise make a good showing in the faith, but they, they fail to give glory in God, well, my friends, that is the role of a minister. And that's why Paul is hoping, hoping to help these Galatian churches. And as he was hoping to help the, the Corinthian churches, at times the gospel must be defended. We must, con we must con uh, contend uh, for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. It was delivered to the apostles. If we lose it, we have the written scriptures as a help. But we're not going to get it back in any other shape. We are not going to get it back in any other shape. The Lord will not send any further apostles. We have got to defend this to the last man. And it's best defended by arguing its divine source. If this is God-breathed, if this is from the word of the Lord, if this is from the mouth of, of Jesus, if this is a one-to-one -one correspondence between the Lord, the teacher, and his student, an apostle, then we had better listen, as Israel was directed even to, to Moses, that he received the testimony from Jehovah on Mount Horeb face to face. The second point is that the gospel uh, is shown to be true because it supernaturally transforms man. If the gospel were of man, it could not transform man because man is its source. But if God is the source, we have something that will help man. But in order for man to receive that help, he must see that he's in trouble. He must see that he has nothing to boast about. And that is what Paul is saying. But the gospel does certainly, evidentially, infallibly, irresistibly, transforms those who believe it. Before believing the gospel, this man, Paul, was called Saul. Saul of Tarsus. And he was a different man. Now, to, in appearance, he, he, he looked great. He had the scriptures. He had great, great knowledge, vast learning. 
Saul of Tarsus was a devout Jew, and he was a Pharisee, which was the strictest school of all the Jewish expression of religion. If anybody had a chance at understanding the scripture, it would be the Pharisees. Okay? A violent, notorious persecutor. That's Saul of Tarsus of the Gospel Church. Saul fought against the apostolic teaching. Saul fought against all who had received the apostolic teaching to destroy it. He wanted to absolutely rid the world of these people that were turning the world upside down. Saul had previously enjoyed a good standing. That is to say, he had a, he had reputation, he had name. Oh, Saul of Tarsus, yeah, I've heard of him, oh, yeah. Wasn't he a, I think he was in class there under Gamaliel. That's right, that's right. Yeah, he was, oh, that's a good man, he's a good man. That's how we talk about seminaries today, right? He was advancing nicely in religion. He was already recognized among the Jews. He had not only zeal, but he had extreme zeal. And by the way, my friends, if you've ever noticed it, and let's talk about what human nature, human nature. Anybody that makes a great discovery and an important discovery, he knows it, he's intelligent. Anybody with extremely high IQ and acumen and knows the, the truth and the worth of what he's discovered has extreme zeal and works without ceasing to get it out to the world. He will never give up because he has good vision and he persists because he knows that this is the right thing and it's an important thing and without this, the world is not as good a place. Well, the same is true in religion. If, if, any, if, if we are, if, and, and Saul of Tarsus was absolutely carried away by his pharisaical tradition. He was consumed by it. He thought this was the answer. This is the most precious pearl of all. And he was very zealous to get this out as any rational human being with any soul would be. Extreme zeal for the traditions of the Jewish expression of the Old Testament. Saul was previously scandalized by the gospel. Oh, he'd heard the gospel all right. But he thought it was just a stumbling block. This is, what a terrible terrible error. His soul was grieved and angered by hearing the gospel. The apostolic church preached salvation not by the works of the law, not through circumcision, not by keeping the three feasts, not by the keep, keeping Sabbath diligently, not by tithing, not, but by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. The prophet from Nazareth alone. And in his righteousness alone. And you're perfectly acceptable to God because of this one man whom God had vindicated by raising him from the dead. Though you in wicked hands took him and blasphemously called him a sinner and criminally killed him on the cross. But God has vindicated his son through the resurrection and he's raised him to his right hand in the ascension. That, that, that. That is enough to anger an extreme zealot of Judaism. 
what Paul really, really, what he was striking at here. If you're reading between the lines, listen, and you got to read this at home tonight, this afternoon or tonight. What he's saying is no human merit. No human merit? That's what scandalized Paul. Nothing to commend ourselves? How do we distinguish? How will God judge the world then? But the gospel says that no human merit, uh, no human, and not even a human merit, but no shadowy works, ceremonial works, such as circumcision and all that, was to be admixed to this gospel of Christ. That, that, that was radical. That, that to Paul was unacceptable. Murderously wrong, he thought, Saul of Tarsus. The gospel exalted Christ, not any man. Oh, and Saul of Tarsus knew this. He, he felt that for sure. This was an experiential religion. <laughs> he hated it. No human effort? No? Nothing? It called for a confession of sin. That is to say, it, it called for a confession that we were very bad. Well, what Pharisee is going to go before his students and before the Jewish nation and go to the river and say, yeah, I'm a bad man? Oh, you've been telling us differently, haven't you? You've been telling us if you follow this, you, that you'll be good. Oh, now do you understand why they didn't believe John the Baptist? Now do you understand why now the Baptist was saying, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand? Self-denial, not self-boast, not self-exaltation, not... Not self-actualization. A lot of the Christianity we see today is that when the Lord blesses you, then you get to be something that you've always wanted to be. Christianity is, is a crutch. It's a passport into extreme human glory. Self-actualization. I've always wanted to be a baseball pitcher. I was, and now the Lord has blessed me, and I'm a baseball pitcher. Well, maybe. Let's look at that. But that's not what the gospel is about. Total human ability to faith or works, dead in sins and trespasses. Confessing Jesus as your surety, that is to say, the payment that God receives and is acceptable to him for the debt of your sin and Jesus Christ as the acceptable payment in your stead, standing in your place for all righteousness. That's the gospel. That's what the gospel proclaims. His righteousness only acceptable before God. And if you receive the gospel, his righteousness alone is acceptable to you. And you are scandalized if anybody teaches you any other admixture. So you know, Paul, he's not Saul of Tarsus anymore. He's a completely different thing. And now he's scandalized by anybody that would detract from the glory of God in Christ and substituting his perfect righteousness and diluting it and even contradicting it with a creaturely, sinful, incomplete righteousness. Even with the help of the Holy Spirit, he will say in Galatians 5.5, 5, we are not in ourselves righteous, for in the Spirit, by faith, we wait for the hope of righteousness. Now, I'll preach that, I don't know, in about seven months or so. Hopefully, I'll get there by God's good grace. 
Confessing sin is our, uh, uh, confessing Jesus is our surety in the covenant of grace, his atoning for our sin. And when you see him fulfilling, fulfilling all the terms of all those Old Testament sacrifices, that included circumcision. I mean, that, that eight-day-old Jesus, that's the first time he shed blood. Think about that. He underwent the miseries of that law, the arduous discipline of keeping all the commandments of God. You know, of course, he was divine, so of course he's going to keep it all and be perfectly at peace in all. All right? However, now that he's done it, for you to insist that that was not fulfilled, that that was not good enough, that all that he had done in your place, in your place as your representative and head to God, if that's not enough, then you, my friend, are disparaging the work of Jesus. Maybe you haven't understood that. But you are displacing all of his merits because all is fulfilled in him. And all in in an attempt to establish your own standing. We'll see that this is clearly, clearly, clearly the narrative of Paul as he goes forth of this epistle of the Galatians. Now, after believing the gospel, Saul was completely transformed. And that's the heading of point number two in this sermon. He was completely changed instantaneously. Because to receive the gospel and to understand Christ, you need a new nature. Because the natural mind cannot receive the things of God. It's offensive to the sinful human creature. He's he's dead to sin and he's dead in sins and trespasses. The carnal mind is at enmity with God and all the things of God. You are at war with God. If you're not converted, you are at war with God. And it's no wonder you hate church. It's no wonder you can't stand preaching, especially long preaching, that insists that, that what is being said is very important and you've got to get it. Oh, you hate that. But Saul was converted. And now he knew immediately that he was wrong. God had prepared Saul, now Paul, from beginning, from the beginning of the foundations of the earth. That's what he, that's what he says here. When he who had set me apart from before I was born, oh man, that sounds like predestination and foreordination, and who called me by his grace, not by my merit, not by my effort, not by anything, you know, like Mary, you know, like uh, Sound of Music, something, Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I, I must have done something good, you know. No, wrong. Channel surf. That's a that's a bad movie. No, it's a bad movie. Natural traits, Hebrew origins, by flesh, DNA, Abraham. He had been gifted intelligence, a huge intelligence. You can see that by reading his personality. Hey, a, he's a fighter. He's feisty. He won't. He won't quit. Schooling. All the schooling. All the best teachers. He, he'd gone to the the Cornell and the MIT and the Stanford of his days. Yeah. God's purposes were to, was to finally catch up with Saul of Tarsus, and and he'd be he was prepared in all these things. But as soon as the switch came on, 
all of the things that he had been taught from scriptures fell into place. He knew the truth. He knew the Lord. And Paul's transformation came about when God called him, and that call was effectual. God's calling of Paul was all of grace. Well, of course he's not going to fail. Because God doesn't fail. If he favors you, you're favored. Noah found favor with God, and the Lord saved him and his, and his family. God's calling of Paul was all of grace, not of anything, although he had prepared him all these things, but none of these things were sufficient. But all of these things that, uh, that Paul had mentioned that he had given up and consi will consider, he'll, he'll call all that stuff is rubbish, it's scubula, scubula in, the, in, in the Greek. It's just things that you just throw out. Jetsam and flotsam, you know, from the boat. It was all of grace. None of that merited anything. And God was not impressed by any of it. And that is not the reason anybody has any righteous standing before God. It was sovereign grace. It was divine grace, exalting God in his word and exalting Christ and not himself. And that is the one Lord, one faith, one baptism that we are all called to own. What's the difference then? What caused this transformation? Was it of Paul? Was it of Gamaliel? Was it of the, uh, that he was of the, Benj of the tribe of Benjamin? No. It was Christ revealed to be in Paul. And that's what he says uh, in verse 16. The one who called me by his grace, who was pleased to reveal his son to me. Or subscript there, it says, in me. Yeah, at least in the majority text in the Greek where I read it. In order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Suddenly, Paul is here telling the Galatians what he says to the Romans letter. Later, he says, the word is near you. It's in your mouth. If, if you're a Christian, it's in your mouth. Why? Because God put his word in your mouth. And if you would just say it and believe it in your heart, you'll be saved. That's the condition of the gospel salvation. But that word finds itself in, in your mouth graciously, sovereignly. That's the difference. Paul was calling, Paul's calling as an apostle and his being sent as an apostle were all originated with Christ. His calling and his sending. Totally, totally of Christ, as was his conversion. And that's the difference. That's the transformation. The gospel had radically and thoroughly changed all that Saul was, every department. Not, not entirely, not, not gloriously without sin. Paul says, look, I, I have not myself arrived, but I press on. He realizes that he's yet a sinner. He, he said that he's a great sinner, that Christ Jesus came to save, save sinners, of whom I am present active, present active verb, I am chief. Not the false Judaized message. The gospel that radically and thoroughly changed Paul was not 
this gospel now that's going forth from the Judaizers in Galatia. These were false teachers. And that message was spreading. It's spreading because, because the flesh loves this kind of boasting. You've got to be careful. It's tantalizing. It's tantalizing to think that you're somebody when you're not. It's deceit. You know, you got this uh, artificial intelligence. You should see the pictures of my, of my friends. They're coming out and they're reshaping their faces. And I, didn't, I didn't know there were so many beautiful people. Where are all these beautiful people coming from? It's a lie. You know, Lou Vega with hair and stuff, the gladiator Lou. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's not me. Anyway, they're sending these pictures. Of some robot has got a hold of my picture, and I ain't got my beard right, but you give me hair. Who needs hair? Not the false Judaized message that the false teachers are spreading. Yes, faith, but a salvation to be necessarily completed by human merit. That's the, this is the subtlety of, this, of Satan. Yes, yes, yes. No, we have faith. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. We don't take anything away from faith. Your faith is required. In fact, faith is a work. And to these guys, faith is a work. And that's not true. Faith is an act, but works have merit that, that, that would be rewarded. But we're not rewarded on the basis of our faith. We're rewarded on, on the basis of Christ. And faith is an instrument that takes hold of Christ. It's Christ that saves, not our faith. All right. Why then would anybody confuse Paul's message with that of the Galatians? Why then would he return to the, 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 the false compromised religion of Judaism? He had, been fought, he had been confused by that all along. He had not been transformed by that because there had been added to this traditions. And besides, you can have the pure scripture and not understand it. You can be quoting scripture and not understand it because you need the Holy Spirit to enlighten your mind and to give you the understanding of the scripture as received from Christ. It's one thing to know theology. It's another thing altogether to have been taught theology in Christ. And that's what Paul is saying here. Why then would uh, he return to Judaism? Paul needed nothing else to be approved by God, and, and God certainly didn't, uh, the Galatian Christians didn't need anything else. They were already in good standing with God, approved by God. If they, of course, would persevere in the faith and in the grace of the Lord Jesus and confess them rightly. Paul was complete in Christ, and he would teach this to all the churches. And so these Christians in Galatians needed to know that, that they had everything, they lacked nothing. You don't need to follow any other man. You don't need to follow any other church. All was fine. God is propitiated, and he accepts you as righteous in his sight for the sake of Jesus. And that's great news. That's the gospel. Only God in Christ would have been able to convince him otherwise. Even from the Old Testament. You know, he had all the manuscripts. He didn't have any epistles from any of the apostles. He just read the Old Testament in light of Jesus stepping him through it. And he saw plainly that Jesus was Messiah. And he saw plainly that all the ceremonial law was all spent and gone, is fulfilled, it's abrogated. And he still saw that more excellence of following Jesus because the, the, the commandments of God, the stony commandments now, are written on hearts of flesh and the spirit. And it's a fulfillment of the new covenant promises in Ezekiel 36 and in so many other places. 
This is the true faith. This is the true faith of God's elect in all ages. That's what Paul is saying. But Paul's personal experience, therefore, defends his apostolic uh, office, of, again, but tangentially. The real point here is that he defends the origin. The origin of the gospel is God, and he, and he shows it because God has made him a new creature. And so Paul rejects any other perturbation and permutation of this gospel as false and therefore to be rejected, roundly condemned, irrespective of whether the Jew is preaching it or a Gentile. My friends, the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation who all who believe. And uh, invariably, all who believe it are transformed. They bear the fruit of the Spirit, and that necessarily is a transformed life. And so the question for you is, are you a new creature? Do you evince the new life? Are, are there signs? I'm not saying you keep it perfectly. But do you love the brethren? Do you love God's truth? Do you, uh, are you, you, you new Christians, you have an insatiable thirst for the milk of the word. That's a sign that you're a newborn baby. But newborn babies that don't get milk, they die. But are you, are you, do you find the nutrition in the word of God? Do your works then affirm your faith? The church attendance is imperative. That getting behind our missionaries in prayer and denying ourselves and, and serving others is that evinced in your life? Are you transformed? Because if you have the gospel, you are. But if you're busy about wrecking churches, causing division, getting into, especially if you're not doing it in the public forum, but you're doing it as it were in a corner. You're not acting like a Christian. And the Lord will sort things out in the end. The conclusion, the source of Paul's gospel then is, it's God and not man. The proof is its power to transform the lives of even those who previously violently opposed his message. The message of salvation by faith alone, Christ alone. Now are you convinced of the divine origin of the gospel? Are you convinced of, of the origin, the divine origin of all scripture? You need to come to terms with this. There's no going forward. If God exists and hasn't spoken, he's not a God of love. If God exists and he doesn't have power to save, irresistible power, gracious to raise the dead, men dead in sins and trespasses, then we of all people are most misled. But that God has spoken, and the scriptures are true. And anyone who has the light of the Holy Spirit can see that the cogency, the, 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 the truth has it all is so glorifying, it all fits the Lord Jesus and it magnifies his person and work. How much credit then do you give to God for your conversion? All credit? Or are you going to say, well, you know, I... I had several advantages, and uh, I mean, I, I'm pretty smart. You know, I, I did well in school. 
and I read a lot. And uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, trying, I'm trying hard to be Christian. You're missing the mark. You're, you're, you're missing the mark. That's not a Christian. That's an almost Christian. You're almost persuaded, but not quite. All credit from first to last. Conversion, oh no, it's a matter of strengthening my will. I, I think I'm going to take, you know, some, uh, if I get good nutrition, exercise, and all that, and really improve my personalities to strengthen my will. It's a matter of will. And if I felt will to believe, I will believe. Ah, boasting in flesh. Your will is as corrupt as your knowledge. Your knowledge is as corrupt as your heart. Your affections are all wrong. You're hell-bound, not heaven-bound. And you're a child of the devil until you receive the Lord Jesus. Has the gospel supernaturally transformed you? I already asked that. Has he revealed himself in you? That's a tight question. Because you see, at the communion table, we receive Christ. And he receives us. It's a matter of communion. And we, we, would, we would be posting a bad picture here of the Lord Jesus if he was not in us and we not in him. And by the way, if we are in him, then we are in one another as members of the same body. And there is peace between us all. All right. Have you with Saul of Tarsus merely a historical understanding of a narrative, a retelling of Jesus' life, or are you truly born again? Have you truly died with Christ, been resurrected and ascended with Christ in the Spirit? Now, we'll get to those mysteries later, but for now, the important thing is that you know and believe that Jesus is the Savior of sinners, that you are a sinner, and that you have received and rest upon him alone for your salvation. And give no glory, no boasting in yourself at all. All you bring to the table, my friends, is sin. But if you'll confess that and hope for better, then he'll meet you at that table in your sin. And he will, by grace, receive you and purge you and cleanse you. And you can continue your walk with him. To all who have been baptized and made a public profession, this table is yours. To all who love the Lord Jesus with sincerity and are walking with him, this table is for you. Will the elders please come up? Let me read to you the words of this institution. This is a, a sacrament uh, instituted by Christ. It's a means of grace. In other words, this is, this is look at this as a street, maybe a side street for some of you, but maybe it's the main avenue where you will meet the Lord Jesus because he loves this street. You walk in this street, you're going to find the Lord Jesus. That's what I mean by means of grace. He walks with you. He talks. And he is in close ministry to you here. And it is right in our, our book of church order, in our confession, 
admit it, that it is the privilege of church officers to ask you, is this been beneficial? Is this food, along with the word of God that sanctifies it, is this food for your soul? Is this edifying? We have a right to ask this. So let me read to you what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Again, a nasty church, full of divisions, very gifted, very carnal, very obnoxious church. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, Corinthians, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. You do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is your, prof this is your prophetic duty. You are a royal priesthood. And by receiving the sacrament, you proclaim the Lord's death. You are now a commonwealth of prophets by proclaiming. Whoever then eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. In other words, this is one body, one, one body broken for you, for you. There's one Lord here. This is a strong antibody, or you might say an injection, to the Corinthian heresy. This is a, this is a unifying means of grace because we receive the Lord. And anyone who receives the Lord is one with him in spirit. And if we are one with the Lord in spirit, then we are one with each other. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, though, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we, are ju if we judge ourselves truly, that is to say, you know, we're really, we have, not, we have not attained, we have not arrived, we're not. No, we still, as we confessed already in our sin, we're sinners. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The world knows nothing of the gospel mystery. The world knows nothing of the Lord Jesus. But if you do, this table is for you. Let's pray. Lord, now we pray that you would indeed by your promise, sanctify this common bread, this common wine. Use it gloriously to remind us of you, all that you are, all that you've done, your shed blood, and our acceptance before the Father on your account, on all your works, and all your merit. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus. Amen.
the last night of the Lord's earthly ministry. He was in the upper room in Jerusalem, Passover week. He was at table with his friends and disciples, and he reached over for bread, and he broke the bread, gave thanks to the Lord Father, and said, this bread, my friends, is my body, and it's broken for you. And as often as you do this, remember me. <laughs> 